everybody. Welcome to episode 163 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode, I'm going to be covering episodes 15 and 16 of season one of the first season of Superboy, produced by Alia Salkind. That is the episodes Stand Up and Get Knocked Down and Meet Mr. Mixias Pitalik. But before I get to the business of this week's episode, I have feedback to address. Feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Man of Screen, episode 152. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I think The Big Scoop was my favorite story in this group, because there's not much better than a well-plotted Lex Luthor story. Given Lex has clearly demonstrated criminal genius over the years, I'm surprised he didn't try to extend the Chronotron's range to more than one hour into the future, but maybe he decided to save that for later. At one point, you wondered if the horse Marvelous Marv thrown was named for New York Mets player Marvelous Marv Thornberry. I suppose that may be true, but I guess that since one of the series' writers was Marv Wolfman, who, during his years at Marvel, often used the name Marvelous Marv, who had only a few years later before been one of the architects of DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths, this might have been a nod to him. I did enjoy seeing Pa Kent helping out his boy. It's definitely a nice bit of characterization to show how Superman can count on him to be there for him. It's a moment like this that highlight the importance of the Kents in Superman's life. Overnight with the Scouts was a little disappointing. I was hoping that since Superman is sometimes derisively called the Big Blue Boy Scout, we might have seen the positive influence scouting might have had on this development. Triple Play was not a great story, but it was mildly nostalgic for me. In the Golden and Silver Ages, and perhaps into the Bronze Age, Superman was more often associated with baseball than with any other sport. I'm not a baseball fan, but it was good to see a little of that old connection. Since Superman's costume was originally inspired by the costumes of circus strongmen and acrobats, I wish the circus would have featured one or more of those performers in red and blue costumes, maybe with a cape, but I guess they missed that opportunity. Thanks for putting out episodes of the podcast during the current isolation. I de- it definitely gives me something to look forward to and helps me remember, at least, what day of the week is Tuesday. <laughs> Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. Well, as always, I thank you, Dave, for writing in. Uh, yeah, The Big Scoop was probably the best episode of, uh, of that group. You know, you can't get uh, much better than a well-plotted Lex Luthor story. I mean, you know, I, and I never thought about him trying to extend the Chronotons range more than an hour into the future, but maybe... Uh, I don't know, maybe an, an hour was enough for him to uh, do whatever it is he wanted to do. It's been so long since I've watched that episode that I didn't even consider that. And, yeah, the Marvelous Marv thing probably was more of a nod to Wolfman. Not really a reader of Marvel all too much. The Marvelous Marv thing probably just kind of flew right by me. You know, the Marvelous Marv is more of a more of a Marvel thing than a, than a DC thing. But, yeah, it definitely is. Uh, was great to see uh, Pa Kent helping out Clark. Uh, during this story, if you're going to have the Kent in the episode with him, at least existing into his career as Superman, it's nice to see them helping him out with his Superman activities when the uh, need arises. As for Dave's comment that Overnight with the Scouts was a little disappointing, I found it very disappointing because I really didn't care for the way Clark behaved on this camping trip. You know, there's a certain way you expect, you know, even young Superman, young Clark Kent to act. And just some of the things he did just seemed mean. And that's not something I really associate with Clark. I'm not really, I really didn't enjoy a lot of the Superman family album stuff beyond really the first couple. I mean, it seemed like, you know, the Super Baby stuff was good. You know, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily call it Super Baby, but stuff with Clark as kind of a mischievous little kid. And then he's kind of almost a mean child. And, and then later on, when he gets to his teen years, you just get the uh, the milestones, which just kind of lead to all kinds of ridiculousness. 
So I will say that the uh, family album stories kind of wore out their welcome a little bit. And I'd much rather, uh, beyond the first couple, they really didn't do a whole lot for me. And you heard me talk a few episodes ago with uh, Pat Delmore about how the last family album story, It's Superman, might have benefited from being a full episode. But is what it is. As far as triple play, no, not a great story. But like I said, a story I remember seeing from when I was a kid because seeing Superman playing baseball is such a, it's a thing that I guess stands out in your mind. Unlike Dave, I am a baseball fan, a New York Mets fan, sad to say sometimes, because nothing can be more aggravating. They say no one hates the Mets more than Mets fans do, and that is definitely uh, something that seems to be true. And the circus, you know, yeah, maybe it would have been cool to see a red and blue uh, costume through the cape, but I'm not sure a cape would work very well on the flying trapeze. But again, that episode two was Clark going out to buy soda, ignored by the Kents, and uh, getting into all kinds of trouble. Not really a story that's worth telling, at least in my eyes. And uh, it helped Dave uh, in the isolation, knowing what day of the week is Tuesday. Pardon me, says I should put out the next episode on a Monday just to uh, knock him off, knock him off his game a little bit, you know. <laughs> but uh, Dave, you're retired. Most of us are just. Uh, hope I'm recording this on May third. Hopefully, by the time this episode comes out, restrictions are a little looser in New York, and you know I can go somewhere, but just nowhere to go. You know, but hopefully by then, isolation is winding down a little bit. The weather's getting better. You're starting to see people out a little bit more. You know, I saw people the other day, this uh, teenage girl who was across the street. She had a friend over, and they were both laying uh, on towels about, probably about six feet away from each other. So people are finding ways to uh, see each other, get out, and still being safely distant. So at least uh, there's that. At least that's that on May 2nd. I don't know what things are going to be like uh by the time this episode comes out, apparently I heard about murder hornets today, and uh, I'm guessing that uh, who knows what June's going to bring. Hopefully something better. But so, again, thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you want to write in, too, join the conversation, manscreen at gmail.com. Right now, I'm going to take a podcast promo break, and I'll be back with the Superboy episode. Stand up and get knocked down. Hang around, folks. Love him or hate him, everybody's got something to say about John Byrne. He ruined the X-Man when he left. That John Byrne, he's a sexist pig. The only thing bigger than John Byrne's ego is... Oh, wait, there isn't anything bigger than John Byrne's ego. John Byrne, oh, he he just draws the greatest butt on Superman. It looks so good. John Byrne is the greatest artist I've ever seen. Wait, who is he? John Byrne's 1986 Man of Steel series gave us the core reimagining of Superman that is still with us today. Third Degree Burn, a podcast about all things John Byrne. The good, the bad, and the legendary. Join Tim Elliott and Brian Hughes as they look over the nearly five decades body of work of one of the most influential comic book creators in the last 50 years. Third Degree Burn can be found at twotruefreaks.com and on iTunes. I got a question though. I just am curious. Why doesn't Green Lantern have any junk?
right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start with Stand Up and Get Knocked Down. This is episode 15 of season one. It was directed by David Grossman, written by David Patrick Columbia and Toby Martin. Guest cast includes Lester Bibbs as the MC, Joe Hess as the goon, Gary Lockwood as Dexter Linton, Hayden Loxton as Michael, Cindy Ramsey as Angel, Brett Rice as the suit, and Jack G. Spiritos as the goon. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The episode opens with unknown comic, Michael, seemingly running for his life from someone in a white limo. Michael calls CJ, who sports a new haircut. Hello? TJ? Michael? TJ, I'm in big trouble. What, the joke I gave you bombed? TJ, they're after me! Michael, relax. Give me uh, 10 minutes. I'll see you down at the club. I'm not at Bonkers. I'll be dead in 10 minutes. I'm at 10th and Hill. Michael. 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 Suddenly, two goons come from out of nowhere and begin pounding on Michael. They're stopped by a man the comic calls... Mr. Dexter, who places a Dramamine-looking patch on Michael's neck. So, Mr. Funny Man, thinking of doing some more moonlighting? The only moonlighting I'm doing is, is working at your club, Mr. Dexter. You've got it all wrong. No, college boy. I got it right. You bought yourself a one-way ticket to the fast lane. What's that? Something that'll help you go bye-bye. <laughs> TJ shows up exactly where Michael has been assaulted and runs over to where his friend stands, propped up against the fence, only to see the comic is dead. At Dexter's club, Dexter looks every bit the weasel as he creepily tells a waitress that, that smiling won't crack her face. While in the university minivan, Clark and TJ discuss what happened to Michael. The police are the ones to handle this. You should tell them about the club. Michael is my friend. I'm going to find out what happened to him. You told me the paramedic said it was his heart. Well, that was last night. This afternoon, the police pathologist said drugs induced the heart attack. This is nuts. Maybe, but we're after information. You'll be the straight man, I'll be the comedian. Okay. So you don't mind if I call Lieutenant Harris, just in case he needs a little advice from an expert? Clark, we're investigative reporters, aren't we? But I don't ever want to be accused of standing in the way of common sense. TJ signs up to be an amateur night contestant and tells the waitress... Well, stand up and give it to him. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Angel. Michael told me you were an angel. You knew Michael? Yeah, we were classmates. That's too bad. He was a nice kid. Yeah, everybody liked him. Never made an enemy in his whole life that I know of. Do you know of anyone? No, no. Somebody tell you you're anything more than a waitress. I don't take orders from anybody but you, Dexter. Okay, then just uh, clean up the tables, fill up the glasses. No need to hang out with some college boy. Who does that creep think he is? Just stay out of it, okay? I mean, for your own sake. He can be life-threatening. Meanwhile, Clark calls Lana, telling her to come down because TJ's going on stage and... Request she call Harris and ask him to send the squad car by the club. 
Clark wanders around outside and stumbles upon the two goons in white limo. Upon his x-ray vision of the truck, we see that there are drugs in the limo. Clark asks the guys whom the car belongs to, noting how long and nice it is, and the goons rough him up, telling him to blow. Inside, TJ listens to, the, to a door marked private while waiting backstage to be announced. So, I'll have one of my boys transfer what's outside in your car. No, we don't want to transport it. Deliver that when you deliver the rest of it. Okay. I understand you had a problem with one of your boys last night. No boy of mine. A college kid and part-time comic had dreams of going into business for himself, so we put him to sleep. Permanently. Hey, you! I guess the uh, medics can't read anymore. He was listening at the door. Well, come on, don't you recognize a comic rehearsing his routine here? Dexter warns him, you better be funny. And Dexter then threatens Angel in the kitchen. Yeah, T.J. White seems kind of nervous backstage. So I want you to bring him a Coke and load it with this. All of it. Are you crazy, Dexter? That stuff packs twice the wallop of PCP. You won't live long enough to put the glass down. You'll do it without something you like very, very much. And that can kill you too. Please, Dexter. Please don't make me do it. Please. Angel gives TJ the coke just before the MC called him on stage. While trying to perform, TJ begins sweating, muttering incoherently, and hearing the voices of things he's heard throughout the episode in his head. Meanwhile, Dexter accosts Angel. How come the college boy isn't taking his final bow? I don't know, Dexter. I gave it to him just like you told me. My bachelor life, I got a stereo equipment and Just what I thought. Don't be mad. We'll make it up to Not you. Not this time, sweets. Put it in the store and we'll take care of it later. There's nervous laughter from the crowd and Clark seems to think something's wrong, so he heads up and ushers TJ out of the spotlight. Backstage, Clark tells his friend that he needs to take him to a hospital, but Dexter and the goons show up and take them into the room with Angel. Dexter's goons tie up TJ and Clark and then Dexter places one of the patches on Angel. Clark and TJ saying that two minutes after skin contact, the drug seeps into the bloodstream. The villains then light the room on fire and head out. Clark easily tears at the strength that puts out the fire and frees the others, removing the patches from their necks, but not without first changing to Superboy. As Superboy makes his way through the club, TJ and Angel head outside. TJ, still reeling from the effects of whatever drug was in the soda, frolics in the street as Dexter, pulling away in his limo, tells his goon to run him down. Superboy comes to the rescue, stopping the limo, and tells the arriving police that the evidence they need is in the trunk. The final scene is TJ performing his new routine. Clark didn't tell me why he couldn't be here tonight, but, uh, you know how Clark is sometimes. <laughs> Wish Angel were here. She's on the way back, TJ. In a couple weeks, you can visit her at the rehab clinic. Yeah. Now, go out there and break a leg. <laughs> now, I'd like to introduce to you one of the newer upstarts here at Bunker. Please put your hand together for my man, Mr. T.J. White. That is good, man. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm uh, really lucky to be here at Bonkers tonight. In fact, what I've been through I'm looking to be anywhere, any night. You are looking at a young man who has been landmined, trash compacted, dropped off a 20-story building, sniper attacked, hurricane abused, 
mowed over by a limo, drugged, and beat unconscious. And uh, I'm not complaining or anything, but I am learning. <laughs> All right, this episode, well, I think to say this episode is not very good would probably give it more credit than it deserves. I mean, it's terrible, it's overacted, it tries to focus on TJ, which is probably the character I'm least interested in 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 this show, to to be totally honest. I mean, they tried to go with a kind of a Clark Kent, Lois Lane, and uh, Jimmy Olsen type of uh, feel with uh, Clark, TJ, and Lana, but for the most part, it's always kind of... TJ and Clark and Lana is kind of the the show has to work really hard to find ways to pull Lana into the story. She's not really, I mean, she is part of the trio, but she's not part of the Schuster Herald group. So we just have to work a little extra hard to get Lana into the story. And I mean, the phone call. What was the phone call to Lana except for a way to pull her into an episode that she really has no organic place in? I mean, we start off in pretty much a bad part of town here we got a guy in a he's fighting a crummy old phone booth he's making a call to somebody who's not there apparently he gets a second choice and <laughs> i didn't notice this at first but this is tj the second choice and his hair is shorter he's got a new haircut not as uh long as what we saw in some of the previous episodes and uh i wonder if this was a choice that the show made that the producers made or was there a break in filming and the actor came back with a haircut? I don't know, but I guess his hairstyle really doesn't matter for the course of the show. I mean, Haynes Newton's does, but probably TJ's a little bit less. So TJ's home and he received the call from Michael. And as the credits were, were going through here at the beginning, I noticed in this episode and in the next that Carrie Bates was an exec- executive story consultant. I'll have to look into that a little bit more and see how far that runs. I don't recall seeing that credit before. I'll have to look back at one of the older episodes and just uh, just to see if his name was there because I don't really remember it. You would think that if he was there the whole season, I'd have, no- I'd have noticed it before now. So Michael here is continuing to run. This car chasing him is uh, very ominous looking. And uh, apparently uh, Michael here has run afoul of two fat guys in bad 80s suits. Um, they look like uh, mob enforcers or something. We're going to see that they're basically the uh, muscle for Dexter who owns uh, the Bonkers uh, Comedy Club. And we'll talk about the comedy club at the end at the end of my coverage of this episode because there was an interesting note kind of tacked at the end so dexter puts a you know the patch here on michael's neck and it's making him go bye-bye bye-bye which you know what i tell my daughter back in the days when, when we were allowed to go places i'll go bye-bye and she always does so like i said because of his haircut i barely recognize dj and it looks like michael is uh quite dead and uh so as this episode continues we see that uh, this is dexter he is the owner of the comedy club and he's uh telling this waitress waitress i think this is angel to uh smile apparently she's uh not happy enough and we're gonna find out exactly why in about a minute so we're gonna find out that tj's buddy here has died of a heart attack induced by drugs so tj is investigating the club with clark clark doesn't really want to be there and he kind of wants to call the police but which is sensible but since it's tj's friend that died he wants to investigate this on his own because they are investigative reporters Again, they're college newspaper reporters. You know, homicide outside of the campus is probably not something uh, I'd be sending them after. But especially since it's TJ's friend, if it's it's TJ's friend dying, he should be as far away from this story as possible. He shouldn't be involved at all. But at least he lets Clark call the police. 
And uh, for the record, the only time really on uh, when I was editor of the campus newspaper, the only time I really dealt, we really dealt with outside law enforcement type cases was when a crime was committed on the campus. Everything else was stupid crap that the uh, campus police were able to deal with. So Clark tries to make, make the call and uh, well, there's no answer at the police. So TJ is asking uh, Angel here about Michael and uh, Dexter doesn't really care for Angel talking to him. And uh, she points out that Dexter can be life-threatening. Oh, so that sounds pretty ominous. It's clear she knows something about about uh, Dexter, but not telling us what, at least not yet. Lana is getting a great kick out of the idea of TJ uh, entering amateur night at the club. So I think she's going to come down there just to watch TJ go down in flames, not knowing how much uh, things are really going to go down in flames once she gets there. So here's Clark sneaking around. I like this. He is, uh, they really combined Clark with uh, Lois Lane when they uh, conceived his character for this show. And uh, he, I like how he, you know, he subtly takes his glasses off and wipes them so he can uh, x-ray the truck to find the drugs in the back. And that's when uh, he's uh, kind of caught by these by our two middle-aged uh, fat goons that rough him up to get rid of him. So now TJ's in the back, psyching himself up to get on stage. You know, he's got to talk himself up because he's probably never dreamed of uh, doing a comedy night in his life. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, backstage is right, happens to be right next to Dexter's office, where he's with the door open, discussing some kind of drug deal right next to the bathroom. So now TJ is uh, caught by the goons, and he's listening at the door, and he's, uh, apparently it seems to be saved by going out to take to the stage, and uh, so out he goes, and uh, Dexter is uh, accosting uh, Angel here, and apparently he has this annoying idiosyncrasy, uh, he flicks the lighter, and he apparently... Uh, Sets her shirt on fire, and uh, she's got. Ne- and we see that uh, Angel's got some needle wounds in her arm there. Uh, so it's very easy to see how Dexter is keeping at least this particular waitress under control. I guess if she steps out of line, she doesn't get the drugs that she uh, that she needs. I don't know if he got her hooked or if she was hooked already, but the episode does not explore that or give us any further clues. But he makes her put a drug in TJ's drink. At first, it's unclear whether she put that in or not, and but we're gonna find out that eventually she does put it in. Uh, TJ has no idea, and he of that she put anything in in his soda here, and he is absolutely bombing on stage, and he takes a very long swig of uh, his uh, liquid courage cola, and we do see that she put it in his drink, as TJ is getting a little woozy up on stage. His intoxication is clearly ev- evident, as he can't help but laugh at himself, and the drug is quickly taking hold, and all the actor here is doing is kind of swaying around and giggling. You know, I've been drunk before. I'm not sure what she put in the soda, but. I've been, into- I've been intoxicated before, you know, mostly alcohol more than anything else. I don't recall ever getting giggly, maybe a little bit, but not quite to this performance. You must have uh, really uh, put a lot in. Not really much to this performance. Everyone else is doing uh, quite better with their concerned looks. And apparently a DJ isn't dying fast enough for Dexter's liking. And uh, that's because Angel here didn't give TJ enough of the drug. There was still a little bit left. And... Uh, and apparently uh, TJ has some things that he just heard running uh, through his head, like the, this I'll be dead in 10 minutes line, and then the life-threatening line keep repeating in his head is maybe his uh, subconscious or something is trying to put things together. So whatever's happening to TJ on stage is getting very uncomfortable to watch at this point, and uh, fortunately Clark saves the patrons from the rest of the act, and then he kind of just uh, grabs TJ, TJ and they walk off the stage, and that's when Clark and TJ are caught by Dexter and his goons. So... Now we have a very badly choreographed attempt to to escape here, which is led by the angel uh, rushing at one of these two goons, and everyone ends up tied up. Now, I don't know what's on these skin tabs that uh, Dexter here is uh, passing around, but 
Obviously, Clark can't be affected, but the other two can. Fortunately, uh, they're both knocked out, so it's kind of easy to see where things are going as Dexter lights the fire. But apparently not everyone was knocked out, as TJ is awake and sees Clark changing into Superboy. I had thought when I saw this happening that TJ was going to say that he saw something later on, and this whole thing was going to be written off as an hallucination, but it seems that by the time this episode ends, this, this is never mentioned again in this episode, except for kind of a bit at the end that's supposed to be funny. But TJ watches Clark change into Super Bowl. He watches Clark do a shirt rip. And there's no, uh, like, half-drunk, giggling, Clark is Superboy type of thing. It's just, you're not sure exactly what TJ makes of that. And we're going to see what he makes of it later. So Superboy blows out the fire and saves them both. Now, it's kind of amusing watching this uh, 110-pound waitress try to move uh, drunk TJ around, and then Lana finally arrives in the scene to participate in the episode, just to watch the kind of drunk TJ dance show in the middle of the street here. Now, I said it before when I started, after I did the synopsis, this is not a very good episode. <laughs> Actually, it's a pretty bad episode, but this bit is somewhat funny as TJ poses in front of the car and does a shirt rip, exposing nothing but a bare chest, as uh, Dexter and his car just stops in front of him. Dexter wanted to run TJ over. TJ ripped open his shirt, showed a, uh, a well-shaved chest, and I think in his drug-induced stupor, he actually thinks that he stopped the car from running him down, but he didn't. Superboy was behind it. Then Angel kind of looks at him, and then he falls over, wondering why he did that. Yeah, I kind of wonder, TJ, why he did a lot of things. So, the episode ends with TJ back at Bonkers to do his comedy bit, and uh, at first it's kind of unclear why Clark is missing, so... Hopefully TJ will do better at his act this time because Clark's not there to rush him off the stage if he bombs out. But TJ does do better this time and uh, we quickly learn why Clark is missing. There's Superboy there catching the show and he gives a thumbs up as the uh, as we cut the credits. But before we go to credits, we get this ending disclaimer that the Bonkers Comedy Club is a real place and its owners and has no connections with drug trafficking or the underworld. That left my head scratching a little bit. I mean, I couldn't find anything on this in a very quick search of the internet. If any of you know something else or have any further guidance on this, you know, give me a shout, manisgreen at gmail.com. But it almost is like Bonkers kicked in some money to have their club featured in this episode. I'm not sure why you'd want to do that when the owner of the club is this kind of drug kingpin. But Bonkers apparently paid for its name to be used. I'm guessing what we saw outside Bonkers was the real place. It's just strange that they'd use a real comedy club for something like this unless money changed hands in some way from Bonkers to the Superboy show. And if money did change hands, it didn't help this episode any, I'll tell you that. So, I mean, unless you're getting paid to use the name Bonkers and you and shoot at its location, you may as well just make up a fake comedy club name. So, ugh, like I said, not a great episode. They're not paying real well for good guest stars. This episode tries to be a showcase for TJ, but it's not a great look. I think TJ is better off as a sidekick character and not really so much the character that drives the plot. And you know what? That's okay. Not every character is meant to be the lead. The show's called Superboy, not The Adventures of TJ. You know, and this episode almost played as though this would be like TJ's last episode because in his little stand-up gig at the end, he kind of ran down everything that's happened to him so far in the season. And... The thumbs up Superboy gives him at the end is almost like a send-off. Except it's not, because he comes back. So I have no further nothing further to say on this episode. I'm glad I'm done with it. 
Let's move on to something a little bit better. I'm going to take a quick podcast promo break, and then I'm going to come back with Meet Mr. Mixias Pitalik. Hang around, folks. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the League through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish things off with Meet Mr. McDeas Fiddler. This is episode 16 of season one, original broadcast date, February 25th, 1989. This was directed by Peter Kiewit and written by Denny O'Neill, uh, who is best known for his work on Batman in the uh, in the Bronze Age, and he did a lot of writing back then. He was also the uh, first and longtime editor of the Batman books uh, in the post-crisis era. Things got into a little bit of a messy start under O'Neill at first, but got better as things uh, kind of ironed out in the years after that. He's uh, not really uh, very well known for any Superman work. He's probably, I mean, I had to look up and see if Denny O'Neill had uh, written any Superman because I couldn't come up with anything, but he apparently, Denny O'Neill wrote the the Sandman saga, which was, uh, as soon as it was over, DC went in a different direction, and uh, and then Carrie Bates came in immediately after, who, again, Carrie Bates is uh, a story, an executive story consultant on this episode. So, but, so Denny O'Neill, he wrote two episodes of the show. He'll also write the season two episode, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Superboy. So nice to see another uh, comics pro uh, writing a, providing a script to the show. But here is Denny O'Neill, of all people, writing Mr. Mixie's Piddleck. This is kind of something I'd expect more from uh, Mike Carlin than Denny O'Neill. I'm used to Denny O'Neill's story being a little bit darker. And this episode did go some dark places, but it was still very silly. So guest cast include Michael J. Pollard as Mr. Mixie's Piddleck. You know, for most of you, most of us in fandom know Pollard Besta from his role in uh, the original Star Trek episode, Miri, where this virus wiped out all of the adults. Why I need to think about an episode like that right now? Uh, well, there it is. But that's the only other thing I can think of that I've seen him in. I might have seen him in other things and just it's not coming to mind. But he died at the end of last year at the age of 80. So that's Michael J. Pollard. As Mr. Mixius Piddle again, he did a pretty good job with what he was given. Russ Wheeler plays the role of Professor Royer, Sidney Vecino as the Professor, Steve Dash as the Mugger, and Jim Rios as the Mugger. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. An old totem pole stands in a windy field, presumably somewhere near Schuster University. 
TJ and Lana are there to cover the story of its removal from the field. However, even with a crane, the turtle won't budge, and Superboy is called in to help. Even Superboy has a great deal of trouble moving it, but eventually he lifts it from the ground. Suddenly, the totem disappears with a pop, and in its place, a little man dressed in yellow, calling himself Mixes Pitalik, appears. Superboy, I'm so glad you could come to see me. It saves me having to come see you. I've come from afar to make you a star. Okay, that does it. No more chili dogs before bedtime. Look, I know these losers are your people, and I love you for your loyalty to them. Really. But we got things to discuss. So what say we make a meet on top of the biology building and say, oh, mm, 28 seconds. We are dreaming, aren't we? Uh, it's too silly to be a dream. It was no dream. It's not an hallucination. That totem was real. Now it's gone. But where did he come from? Perhaps the inscription on the totem can give us the answer there. Young man, how long will it take you to have that film developed? Uh, one hour, Doc? From my lab to yours? On the building's rooftop? Soupy baby, I'm so glad you can make it. Uh, I gotta apologize for the surroundings. You know, it ain't much, but we like to call it home. Looks like a rooftop to me. You hurt me, Soupy. You wound me, you know that? But the ventilation's sensational, huh? Who are you? Oh, naughty, naughty, Soupster. You're not paying attention. My name is Mixes Pitalik. M-X-Y-Z-P-T-L-K. Don't try and say that fast, or you get your tongue wrapped around your eye teeth. And I won't be able to see what I'm saying. Don't ever do that! Don't you ever, ever steal my line again. What do you want from me? Where I come from, we all get a lot of yucks out of you human beings, you know, messing up all the time. I'm glad we entertain you, really. But I'll tell you what's really entertaining you know when you're two people like that? When you're Clark and Superboy? <laughs> no, listen. Superboy, your secret's safe with me. I wouldn't tell anybody. And, you know, if the whole world knows about it, it's, it's all spoiled. But here's the deal. You know, in the fifth dimension, we got our eye on you, you know? And you got what we want. And we always get what we want. Whoa, whoa. Well, back up, back up. There's a fifth dimension? You're a good-looking kid, got a lot of style, you know, but in the smarts department, you ain't exactly world-class. You dummy! The fifth dimension is another universe, it's a parallel universe, but it's nothing like this. What does that have to do with me? It's the powers, it's the super-duper powers. You know, everybody can do magic in the fifth dimension, but that's all I can do is magic, you know? So. We've been watching you, you know, we'll get you over there, you know, look you over, you know, then maybe you could show us and then we could all become Super 2! I'm not going anywhere. I'm not interested, not even a little. Please, Soupy! Maybe I can change your mind. 
When Clark refuses, Mixie suggests a wager. Uh, <clears throat> are you a betting man? Will you get to the point, please? You know that Atlanta chick? She's not too hard on the eyes for a human, that is. So the bet is, I can make her fall in love with me within 24 hours. I lose, I cut out. And if you win, what happens? Oh, yeah, if I win, you know the answer to that one. I win, we go back to the fifth dimension, and we, you know, make it a happening place. There's also a third possibility here, that I stuff you right now. <gasps> I'm sorry. By Mixie's first attempt, first two attempts, a joking kiss, and then a fabricated rescue fail, the little guy disguises himself as Clark Kent and tries again. The real Clark catches him in the act, but allows the facade to go on for a bit. Fake Clark gives Lana a gift, telling her from now on, every day is her birthday, then takes her swimming and for a walk by the bay. Though all the while, the new Clark acts completely different, love-struck and extremely dorky. Lana doesn't seem to care and instead tells him the day's been heaven. When real Clark, as Superboy, decides to step in and put a stop to the madness. Superboy, um... Hey, Soupy baby, glad you can make it. Lana? That's not Clark. What? It's not the Clark you know. Well, you can say that again. He's been full of surprises all day. Just come with me. I need to explain some things to you. I'll take you somewhere safe. This is all so sudden. I, uh... I, I don't know what to say. It's okay, Lana. It's okay, really. I understand. It's okay. I mean, if you want to go off with him, I understand. What girl in her right minds want to go off with, with uh, Clark Kent when she can go off with Superboy? You know, it's okay. I'm, I'm sorry, Superboy. I, I can't leave Clark. Not like this. Superboy and a professor meet to discuss the totem. The answer's got to be in there somewhere, Professor. I have a lot of questions to which I'm trying to find the answers. Well, there's just one I'm interested in. How to send that imp back to the fifth dimension. Hey, Superboy, lighten up. That's not like you. Okay, granted, he's a pain in the butt, but what's the big deal? He's no real threat, is he? He is to Lana. Have you seen them? He's hitting on her, and I don't think she minds. No way. Yes. Wait, wait, how would she have time? I mean, Clark and her have really found each other. <laughs> Surprise to me. Don't underestimate Clark, okay? He might seem laid back on the outside, but underneath... A seething volcano? <laughs> Look, Superboy, I love the guy, but hot lava, he ain't. Ah, something, something. According to this, spirit creatures appeared quite often until the tribe shaman devised this totem to block the gate from their world to ours. Does it tell us how to get rid of them? No, no, not, not clearly, but these pictographs give a hint. You see, I, I'm guessing here, and I, I'm doing a lot of guessing, but my interpretation is that they are, uh, they are a warning and a solution. You see, these creatures can be benevolent and then suddenly turn quite vicious. With the bottom line, Professor? Well, as I say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think it has to do with reflection and the name of the creature. That's it? Well, in time, of course, I, I, I hope to get more information, but uh, Time's the one thing we're running out of, Professor. Uh, yeah. While Lana and Mixie Clark head to Lana's dorm room, where Clark tries to put the moves on her. Clark! What are you doing? 
Why did you turn on the lights? Because we're going to study. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we studied each other enough to know we're in love. <laughs> Clark! Clark! Your grandfather Kwong went that way. You said you liked the new Clark. I mean, that's who I am. The way you're acting, I'll take the old Clark any day. Hmm. No! I want you to leave, now! I don't want to go. You can't make me go. What is going on? Get out of here, you toad. Say I love you, toad. I love you, toad. I want to go back to the fifth dimension with you. I want to go back to the fifth dimension with you. On the rooftop, Mixie informs Superboy that Lana wants to, to go with him, and Superboy formulates a plan to stop them from leaving. Spotting a puddle on the roof and remembering the professor saying, Reflection, Superboy says Mixie has put it like backwards and smiles. When Lana arrives near the totem site, prepared to leave, TJ and Superboy give her a note, containing a special goodbye. Lana, Lana, listen, uh, Superboy filled me in, and, well, I mean, what with you leaving so soon and all, I figured you wouldn't have a chance to say goodbye to your father. What's the deal with the note? You're taking Lana away from us and away from everything and everyone she's ever known. We feel the least that we can do is have something that she can leave behind for her family and friends to remember her by. It's the decent thing to do. Never let it be said that Mixes Pitalik is indecent. Go ahead, read the note. I give you permission, sweetie, honey. Dear father, dear friends, it is with great sadness and regret that I say a fond farewell and a heartfelt kill, kill, kill. Let me help you with it. No, Superboy, you are through helping her. I'll read it. Dear father, dear friends, it is with great sadness and regret that I say a fond farewell and a heartfelt kill tick zipsum. <laughs> That's not fair. You tricked me. Goodbye, Mixtius Pitalict. And good riddance. Later, Clark and Lana discuss the incident. And once Superboy figured out the secret of getting him to say his name backwards, he came up with uh, the idea of my farewell letter. And as fast as you can say, Cliff Dick Sixum, <laughs> no more Mr. Mixpitalic. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, Lana, you haven't said much about my double. What was the other Clark like anyway? Uh, the less said, the better. Believe me, one Clark in a girl's life is more than enough. What does that mean? All right, so I'm always curious how a show of this nature, especially one with a low budget like this, is going to handle a being like, like Mixias Pitalik. Because when you think about it, when you're dealing with the comics, there are no budgetary limitations. Whatever the artist can draw, and me deadline, of course, can be brought to life. I mean, in the comics, buildings can walk and mix this piddle, it can raise all kinds of hallucinations, things that aren't there. You can change the setting and all that. We've got a very low budget live action show here. And a lot of that stuff is off the table. I don't know how most of it is off the table. And... Mixias Pitalik is a character that, to be fair, I never want to see in a movie. 
because, you know, you only get a movie once every couple of years, if you're lucky, with the way Superman movies are coming out. I don't want to spend uh, an entire film with, with Mixie just to uh, have to wait another year, another few years or something else. But you know what? If In a TV show, you got 22 episodes or however many episodes are in this season, or even if you got 13, you can spare one for Mixie, one or two. So I don't mind seeing him in a TV type setting because you know what? If that's not your thing, there's always something new next week. I get kind of annoyed these days when standalone episodes are kind of derided as filler because with some of the shows that I've that I've watched, even serialized ones, some of the most memorable episodes have been the so-called filler episodes. I mean, there are some shows. You know, I look at Twenty Four for this. When I would watch that show on DVD, I always had to remember what time it was at the end because otherwise, I wouldn't necessarily know which episode to put on. But anyway, back to this. We get to uh, the professor and his team. They got a, like a crane or something. And they're trying to pull out this totem. And uh, TJ is taking pictures while uh, the professor kind of looks on. And uh, this is how Mixie's Piddle is going to come into our story. I mean, effort. I mean, you can see something's not quite right about this totem pole. Because the wind is blowing, kind of making the removal uh, complicated. At first, it was unclear if they're trying to knock it down or what. But uh, then Superboy shows up and... Uh, that's when you find out that they just found the totem and uh, they can't move it. So so they couldn't move this ancient totem and they just called Superboy? I mean, does somebody have his phone number? I mean, how exactly do they does one get Superboy to uh, this totem pole so he can move it? Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, Superboy, the uh, quote-unquote unstoppable force, can't seem uh, to pick up the immovable object of the totem pole. At least not easily. Eventually he gets it. And of course, with a pop and an animation... The totem disappears, and Mixie shows up, and uh, here we go. We're kind of uh, off to the races. He's probably the most comic-accurate Mixie I've seen on live-action television. I think he's also the first. I mean, I don't think we've seen Mixie in, in any other live-action so far. The only live-action we've had is uh, the Kirk Allen serials, the George Reeves Adventures of Superman, and uh, the four Reeves movies, and there was no Mixie's Piddlick there. So this is the first appearance of the Imp in the Fifth Dimension in live-action. Howie Mandel will show up in, as Mixie and Lois and Clark, and uh, the less said about Mixie uh, on Smallville, the better. He'll show up a couple times in uh, Supergirl, but I don't think that's ever getting covered on this podcast. But this one looks like it was pulled right out of the comics with the orangish suit, which, to be honest, does not work in real life as well as it does on the comics page. So Superboy is uh, quite perplexed and uh, looks confused, annoyed, and all the other uh, effects Mixie tends to have on the character. No, I always thought Mixie's Piddle could be a little bit shorter, but, you know, they're kind of limited with the show's budget and all. So, uh, Mixie's going to have some fun here. As he basically turns Lon and TJ into clowns here and uh, makes them walk back to Schuster. I don't, I don't know. So, Michael Pollard looks cartoony enough to be Mixie's Piddle. I like that they're pronouncing the name uh, properly. You can go to sleep at night and have nightmares about super friends calling him Mixelplick. Ugh. And I love the look, the look that we're seeing on Newton's face. He's showing the perfect amount of irritation. And uh, Pollard is just dumping Mixie Exposition, explaining who he is, but Pollard is entertaining enough to pull off that exposition without feeling like it's getting boring. So, the game is set. If Mixie can make Lana fall in love with him, they all go back to the fifth dimension together. If Superboy wins, Mixie goes home uh, empty-handed. And this deal is made after... uh, after Mixie uh, magically tried to knock a planter down onto this woman's head. And then Mixie replaced the woman. More on that later. More Actually, more on that right now. As uh, Superboy offers a third option. Which I guess was to physically insult Mixie's Pitalik. But he just disappeared. And then all of a sudden, this woman that Superboy saved from the planter. 
is apparently okay with being grabbed by the Boy of Steel, and she tries to kind of make a move on Superboy in a very uncomfortable-to-watch scene. So, Mixie appears next to Lana during her jog now, and uh, she's irritated, and uh, Mixie plans a knock-knock joke, kisses Lana, and she called him a toad. So, that kind of takes care of that, at least for now. So, Lana doesn't think Mixie's piddle is all that dangerous, and apparently... Uh, He's in a stage of rescue now. He pulled some guys out of jail and kind of gave them rifles. You should see these guys. They're, they're completely confused. Uh, apparently, they were in some kind of rock quarry or something. And at first, they're holding shovels. But you can definitely see that they're in uh, prison uniforms. Not orange, but blue. But they've got the little uh, name tags on the uh, left chest area. And after he gives the convicts rifles, apparently, the game got a lot more dangerous. So, basically, Mixie set this up to look heroic. And it really doesn't appear to have worked, as Lana literally paid no attention to the imp. So now, Mixie gets to his final, and perhaps most creepy plan. Now, he's posing as Clark, and hitting on Lana as Clark. And then, they go to the pool, Clark wears this, well, not Clark, Mixie Clark, wears this hideous swimsuit. I don't even know how to describe this thing, it's almost like a like a romper that's tied at the bottom, too big at the top, just very strange, and hard to look at. It doesn't even look good for the ladies. I'll just say that. It just looks weird. And what I don't understand about this is can't Lana tell that Clark is acting very strangely, very out of character? Perhaps Lana is a little too love-struck here to notice this, but I would think from the way Clark's acting, the way he's uh, got his voice very high-pitched and uh, weasel-like, you would think she'd be a little creeped out, but she's not, and I'm having a hard time understanding why. So Lana finally figures out that Clark is acting differently, and uh, he says love changes people. It does, and sometimes for the good, sometimes for the, for the bad, but Lana again just accepts that at face value. But again, he's speaking very Michael Pollardy, so she should notice something is wrong. She should notice that Clark is not acting right. And then Superboy shows up and tells her that's not Clark. And now, I don't know, this is the one thing that kind of jumps out at me. Maybe Superboy should have done something a little bit different here. I mean, he shows up in costume, tells her that it's not Clark. Well, wouldn't it have made more sense for him to show up as Clark? There is no actual evidence that Clark has his double because we never see... Well, we do. We see Clark and the double together. We see uh, when the, the double is first spotted hitting on Lana in that leather jacket that, and Clark is coming out of uh, the school building that they're both together. That's how we know the leather jacketed one is fake, but... If he shows up as Clark in front of the other Clark, Lana would have seen something was wrong. But even if he's going to show up as Superboy, why doesn't he just say that's Mixie's Pitalik posing as Clark? M- makes no sense and just doesn't hold up. So Superboy is uh, properly irritated after all of this. And uh, the professor discovered that the totem was blocking the gate from the fifth dimension. Oh, okay, apparently there's a gate. Mixie can't just kind of appear and disappear at, at will. There has to be a, a gateway. Okay, I'll, I can go with that for the sake of the episode. And now they, the uh, professors are thinking out loud about reflections or something that was read on the totem. So he's going to wait for, him, uh, for more information. And now things with Lana and uh, Mixie Clark go from funny to creepy. If they weren't creepy enough already. So Mixie's Pitalik puts some more moves on Lana and... Uh, Kicks them out of the dorm room. Apparently, they were out going to Lana's room to study. I think uh, Clark had, or Mixie Clark had a different kind of studying in mind. And uh, she kicks him out, and that's when he reveals who he is. And now, he's going to control Lana. They're making her say that she loves him. 
and wants to uh, go harder. You know, she wants to go back to the fifth dimension with him. And the whole uh, "tell me you love me" toad thing was very, uh, very creepy. So Superboy up on the rooftop uh, figures out the reflection thing to get rid of Mixie Spitalik, and he figures out that he's gonna have to get Mixie to say his name backwards because Mixie shows up and uh, basically says now that he's got control of Lana, all bets are off. So now, basically after that, we're left with the only way to get rid of him is to make him say his name backwards. So Superboy tricks him into reading a letter and getting him to say his name backwards, and off he goes back to the fifth dimension. The one thing about Mixie S. Pitalik episodes is it's not something Superboy, or even Superman for that matter, can solve with their fists. He has to think of a way to get rid of Mixie S. Pitalik. In this case, uh, when Mixie shows up and introduces himself, he creates this uh, string of letters uh, in the spelling of Mixie S. Pitalik, and uh, Superboy sees them in the in the puddle, and it spells out Kiel to see them, or Kiel to six them, as he says in this episode. That pronunciation is a little bit uh, debated as well. But that's pretty much that episode. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more uh, goofiness in an episode with Mixie S. Pitalik in it, but it seemed uh, faithful to the concept, at least at first. Michael uh, Apollo did well in the role as uh, the Imp from the Fifth Dimension, and uh, we will see him again. I've previously mentioned the uh, Season 2 episode, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Superboy, that was written by Denny O'Neill. Apparently that's going to feature the return of uh, Mixie S. Pitalik. It'll be interesting to see if that calls back to this at any point. Much like the way uh, Andy Helfer's and Mike Carlin's episodes all kind of tied back to uh, each other, starting with the uh, alien solution and then ending with uh, the revenge of the alien. So that's it. Mixing's back to the fifth dimension. We're done with this episode. Next time, I'll be back with two more Superboy episodes, Bird Woman of the Swamps and Terror from the Blue. And if you want to send feedback, it's always welcome. Manofscreen at gmail.com. If you'd like to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Till next time, folks. We're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.